We are in our last week of a series called Life in the Arena, when obedience means defiance. And today we're going to be looking at what, what is it for us as parents, as grandparents, as a covenant community, what is it for us to raise up the generation of change? What is it for us to raise up a generation of kingdom warriors, Jesus-minded um, uh, students and young people who we release in the world, who go and make a culture, build the kingdom, and live their life on mission for God? What does that look like for us? And we're going to look at that through a very um, cool relationship that we see in the New Testament, and that's the relationship between Paul and Timothy. We're going to spend all of our time today in First and Second Timothy, so if you want to grab your Bible and go to First Timothy, and while you're going to First Timothy, let me kind of tell you about this relationship a little bit between Paul and Timothy. Um, Right after Paul came to faith, and you remember that story, that's when uh, Jesus drop-kicked him off of that donkey and called his name from heaven. You remember that? Struck him blind and he saved him. Um, Paul came to faith, and then he immediately began to go on mission. He began to travel and preach, and he went into a city called Lystra. And Lystra is where he found Timothy and his family. Timothy's uh, grandmother was Lois, his mother was Eunice, and through Paul's ministry and through his preaching, Timothy, his mother, and his grandmother all came to faith in Jesus. So Timothy literally came to faith under Paul's preaching of the gospel. Then, very shortly after that, Timothy began to join Paul on these missionary journeys. So he began to travel with him and go with him. And Paul began to apprentice him, and he was Paul's protege. And Paul began to disciple him and raise him up as a young minister, and he began to um, recognize God had called him to invest in this young man to put him on mission for God. And so um, one of the things that I have been convicted by, encouraged by this week is here is Paul, the seasoned minister. And really, by the time we get to First and Second Timothy, Paul is coming to the end of his life. And he has spent all this time with Timothy. He met Timothy in Acts chapter 16. And from there, they just spent years together. And you never hear Paul speak of Timothy like Timothy was holding him back or slowing him down or hindering him. Because when Paul saw Timothy, Paul saw someone God had entrusted to him to raise up and send out. He saw someone that God had given him to shape as a kingdom builder. And so parents, I want you to hear me this morning. As we dive in, let's get our mindset this way. Um, God has given us our children for one purpose, to shape them and send them as kingdom builders. That's why we have them. That's why we've been entrusted with them. And so you get a picture of this relationship between Paul and Timothy right in uh, the first chapter of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 2, look at how Paul describes Timothy. He says, to Timothy, my true child in the faith. Paul calls him his child in the faith. What, what, is, what is that language for? It isn't just that Timothy came to faith under his preaching. It's that Timothy was his, Paul was his spiritual father. Paul was his spiritual father, and Paul recognized and embraced the reality that Timothy was someone he was raising up 
in the faith, someone who was going to need to know how to be obedient, how to walk in hardship, how to endure persecution, how to walk in purity, how to have integrity, how to endure the persecution as a pastor. That's what he was encouraging. He knew this young man was going to need that. Here's why. The church at Ephesus, um, where Paul had now sent Timothy, and now here's this young man who has been raised up by Paul. He's now pastoring the church in Ephesus. This church was a hot mess, team. It was a hot mess. The, the city of Ephesus, socially, culturally, was persecuting the believers. The church at Ephesus had um, wolves from the outside coming in and, and, and teaching false doctrine, trying to pull the people away. You had people leaving the faith because of their, the persecution they were enduring. And so here's Timothy standing in the arena of his own church. And so Paul writes these letters of 1 and 2 Timothy to encourage this pastor. And he's encouraging him by saying, listen, hold on, be faithful, preach the word, stay connected with Jesus, don't lose hope, he's worth it. That's what you find in 1 and 2 Timothy. And church, if we're going to raise up the generation of change, if we're going to raise up a generation who knows what it is to stand in obedience to Jesus, even when it cost them everything. Because parents and grandparents, I want you to hear me say, if you think it's hard being a believer right now, it will be exponentially more difficult for our children. And that's not something to be afraid of. It's something to embrace. We have to just realize God has selected them for that season. God has chosen them to walk in that. He's, and he's chosen up to raise up the chosen us to raise up the Davids and the Esthers. That's what he's chosen us to do, and the Pauls and the Timothys. That's that's our job. But we have to prepare them for that. We raising up this generation of change, raising up this generation who looks at the Lord Jesus and sees in Him the greatest treasure of their life. They see him as so supremely valuable that whatever it cost them to have Jesus is pennies to pay if they get Christ. That's the generation we got to raise up. So how do we do that? We got to have a plan, right? We got to have a plan on how we're going to do that. So let's look at this relationship and see how God is calling us to do this. If we're going to raise up this generation, the first thing we have to do is this. We have to empower our children to be spiritual leaders right now. We have to empower our children to be spiritual leaders right now. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Look at what Paul says to this young man. He says, Timothy, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. One of the first things Paul does is he empowers Timothy to just walk in the calling that God has on his life. He says, Timothy, you are a leader. And don't let anyone look down on you because of your age, but instead, I'm empowering you to go and lead. Go set an example for the believers. Go show them what it looks like to walk faithfully with Jesus. Set an example of, of what it means to love well, to be a young man of purity and integrity, to be a young man of faith and believing. He says, go set an example. 
These people are going to need somebody to look at, and I don't need you to be an old man. I need you right where you are. He's looking at Timothy, and he is saying, who you are right now is who God wants to use right now to do his good work in the church right now. And students, any of our students that are in the room, I just want you to let me have your attention. I want you to hear me say this. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, who you are right now is who God wants to use right now to change your world and your culture and your school right now. You are empowered. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then his divine power has given you everything you need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called you to go and do this work. But we got to empower our children to see them that, themselves that way, don't we? We have to empower them. I think so many of our children fail to thrive spiritually because we fail to empower them spiritually. We fail to empower them spiritually and, 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 and help them see themselves as spiritual leaders. But the truth is, our children need to know they are released to lead right now. So many of our kids get hung up in this, well, maybe one day I'll lead. Maybe one day God can use me. And they get in this wait and see mode. And we got to help them break free from that and say, no, God has called you now. Go be a leader now. Go set an example right now. But they need to be empowered to do that. That's what we do. We have to empower our children to lead spiritually. Now think about this for a minute. Think about David's family in the Bible. Remember who David's dad was? What was his name? Jesse? Think about Jesse. So the, the prophet comes to Jesse and says, God says one of your sons is going to be king. And David goes and gets those first guys, and they are strong and handsome and just looking bad to the bone, and they look very much like kings, and they pass before the prophet, and he goes, nope, nope, nope. He goes, don't you have any more sons? And he goes, well, I got this knucklehead out there watching sheep, and he smells like a wet dog, and I don't know if you want him. And, and the prophet goes, go get him. And he anoints him as king, as a young man. Jesse empowered David, ready? Even though he didn't look the part, even to his own dad, Jesse empowered his son, knowing God had anointed him to be king of Israel. David then empowered his son, Solomon, and he gave him a vision for what it meant to lead God's people and to serve God's people. He gave him a vision for the temple, this beautiful, transformative place of worship. Remember, David got the vision, but Solomon built the temple. So David now empowers his son Solomon. Solomon then empowers his sons when he writes the Proverbs. If you read that, what does it say? It says, my son, give attention to my words and incline your ear to my saying. Why? Because the word of God, what he has put in my heart to write down, these words are life to those who find them and health to a man's whole body. And what were those words? Those words were this, the fear of the Lord. A right view of God and a right relationship with God is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge and understanding. So Jesse empowers David. David empowers Solomon. Solomon empowered his children. And look how God used that lineage. And parents, just hear me say, we have to empower our children spiritually. Here's the second thing I think we see. 
We have to affirm them in their spiritual growth and calling. Look at 2 Timothy, probably just one or two page turns. 2 Timothy chapter 1, look at verse 5 through 7. We have to affirm them in their uh, spiritual growth and calling. Paul says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, Timothy, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. And for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. What does Paul do there for this young pastor? What does he do? He affirms him. He pours affirmation on Timothy's spiritual growth and his calling. He says, Timothy, I don't want you to forget who you are. You are a man of faith. And you come from a family of faith. And I am, I am affirming those good things in you. I've seen it with, I'm sure it dwells in you. I've seen it with my own eyes. And I want that faith to fan up into a holy fire that then you use to go and change the world and build the kingdom of God. He affirms the spiritual growth that he sees in Timothy. Now notice how this faith in God came to Timothy. What does he say? He said, this is a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. Ladies, I want you to hear this. Here is this pastor in Ephesus who is standing in the arena shepherding this new church of new believers. And he was mentored in the faith by strong women who passionately loved Jesus. Paul didn't point out Timothy's daddy. He just didn't. He said, this fame came to you from your grandmother, then your mother, and now it's in you. Ladies, never forget how God has positioned you to shape and mold and prepare your children because one day they're going to stand in the arena. And this is where we find Timothy. And Paul sees this faith in Timothy that had been displayed, this lifestyle of, of loving Christ and, and giving his life away and walking faithfully with him. And he is affirming that. And here's what I love about this. And it's such a good word for us as parents. Paul is verbally affirming and publicly affirming because most of these letters would have been read to the church. It was verbally affirming and publicly affirming the things in Timothy's life he wants to see repeated in Timothy's life. You guys have heard me say this before, but it is such a beautiful principle as parents, and that is this. We reward what we want repeated. Are you with me? Because it's uber quiet in here, and maybe I'm just preaching to me. I don't know. See, I think so many of us take the approach as parents that say, my approach is I come down like a hammer every time they step out of line. And if I come down hard enough, fast enough, and often enough, I'll just cut that behavior out. And it takes on this fear approach to parenting. And I want to tell you, if, if that's you, listen, I, I've stubbed my toe on that rock too. But God will do infinitely more in the life of your child 
when you begin to reward the good work, what if the highest affirmation they received from you had nothing to do with athletics? For some of us, our families never cheer louder than when our children succeed on a ball field somewhere. We never cheer louder than when our children make a good grade. But what if our highest affirmations were set aside for those moments where we saw them do the hard thing, walk faithfully with Jesus? What if it was set aside for the moments when they did what nobody else was willing to do, when they said yes to Jesus, which meant saying no to everybody else? What if that's when we affirmed them? And that's what this looks like. Reward what you want repeated. And if you're stuck in this loop of swinging the hammer of fear and discipline, gospel-centered parenting is infinitely more concerned with building biblical character than it is with behavior management. Are you with me? Should I say that again? Gospel-centered parenting is infinitely more concerned with building biblical character than it is managing behavior. Because if I build character, the behavior takes care of itself. So many of us think we work it backwards. I got I to gotta manage the behavior because if they act right, it means they are right. I'm a poster child for somebody who knew how to act right but was all wrong. But if we foster the character, if we reward the godliness, if we affirm that's growth and calling, the behavior will take care of itself. We have to affirm them this way. All right. One of the questions I just felt the Holy Spirit ask me this week, and, and I'm telling you, it, it just... It just, you ever feel like the Holy Spirit gets on the top buckle and just drop kicks you? That's a re wrestling reference. Uh, uh, you guys didn't watch enough of the Von Erichs growing up. I can already tell that. <laughs> Any Carrie Von Erich fans in here? Oh, bless the Lord, I'm with my people. Um, one of the questions I just felt the Holy Spirit just, just pulling me back to. If you're wondering how you're doing in affirming this spiritual growth, the question that I just felt in my heart was this. God's calling on their life versus your dreams for their life. Which one do you affirm most? As quiet as you are is as quiet as I've been. Because I'm real good at affirming the dreams I have for my children. God's calling, but God has given them to me to affirm his calling on their life. Here's the next thing we got to do. We got to prepare them for the difficulty of following Jesus. Look at 2 Timothy now chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. Paul says to this young man, he says, but understand this, Timothy, that in the last days there um, will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, 
heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, uh, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, and having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Feels like Paul had his thumb on the pulse of Longview and Gilmer as well, didn't it? What does he say? He says, Timothy, avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of truth. Paul looks at this young man and says, Timothy, I want you to know something. This is going to be difficult. Timothy, these people, even these church people are going to mistreat you. They're going to be hurtful toward you. They're going to love themselves more than they loved you, more than they love you or Jesus. And being faithful when that happens is going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. Following Jesus is not easy if you're truly following Jesus. And I'm convinced that we do our children a disservice when we tell them the full measure of obedience to Jesus is coming to church on Sunday. When that is the measure of what it means to belong to Christ and to be faithful to Him, when it's just, did we go to church on Sunday, we have done them a disservice. Because this is easy. There's no cost in coming here. And guess what? This is not your child's arena. This is not where they have to stand where it's hard. They have to do that at school. They have to do that in the classroom. They have to do that when they get on the bus. They have to do that when they get in the car with a buddy. They have to do that when they're at a friend's house and nobody's home. That's the arena. Did we prepare them for that moment? This is easy. But what are we doing to prepare them for the moment? when they got to stand up in such a way that it cost them a friendship? Are we teaching our friends that their social relationships matter more than their obedience to Jesus? Are we raising children and students who can walk into Gilmer ISD or Harmony or or Union Hill, or Union Grove, or Or City, or Pittsburgh, or New Diana, or Longview? Are we raising children who can walk into those schools with their head up and their shoulders back, toting with them the banner of the name of Jesus, and have no shame? When Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, I want you to come and follow me, what did he say? He said, I'm going to call you to come and follow me. I want you to take up a cross and follow me. Are we preparing our children that following Jesus is difficult? If you are truly walking in obedience to Jesus, then you know what I'm about to say is true. It can be lonely and it can be humiliating. Am I right? And it can be costly. But we have to prepare them in knowing this is going to cost them something. It's not easy. But in whatever it cost them, we have to teach them this. Jesus is worth it. He's worth it. He's worth whatever it costs you. I hate that that friendship is broken, but Jesus is better. 
I hate that you weren't included in that circle of self-consumed humans, but Jesus is better. I hate that you missed getting invited. I hate that you got left out. I hate that your phone doesn't ring, but Jesus is better. Are you teaching that to your children? We got to teach them that. Here's the next thing. We have to equip them to be faithful to Jesus. So we got to empower them, firm them, remind them it's going to be difficult, and then equip them to be faithful. Look, so right after this, Paul says, hey, this is going to be hard, man. People are going to love themselves more than you, more than they love Jesus. They're going to be slanderers, hate-filled people. They're going to do damage. But look at what he says starting in verse 10. But you, Timothy, you, however have followed my teaching and my conduct and my aim in life and my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, even my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, while pers- with per- which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. What's he saying? He's reminding it's going to be hard. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But again, here's what he says. But as for you, Timothy, as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. What is that? It's the Bible. It's the Word of God. Which, you are able to, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Why? Because all Scripture is breathed out by God. And it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Why? So that you, the man of God, may be complete equipped for every good work. Parents, hear me say this. If we're going to equip our children to stand in the arena, we better put the tools in the belt and the weapons in their hand. And that is the Word of God. That's this right here. And I'm fooling myself and you're fooling yourself if we think that our children are going to rightly treasure the Word of God just because we told them to. Just because I tell them the Bible is important, just because I tell them what it can do, I am a fool if I believe that's going to instill in them the right treasuring. Because Paul said, now let me equip you. Now let me tell you how to get ready for this hardship. Remember the sacred writings. Remember God's word is breathed out by him. And it is profitable for teaching and correcting and, and transforming and rebuking and training you up. Why? So you can be complete to go do this good work. Is God's word a treasure to you? Which means this, my kids have to hear me do more than talk about it. They got to see it doing something in me. They got to catch me with it open. They got to see me reading it. They got to hear me quoting it. They got to hear me bring it to bear when their mom and I have a difficult decision to make. When we're in a tough place and we just don't know what, they got to hear us bring God's word to bear. When they bring a struggle to us and they trust us to walk with them through a difficult thing, they need to hear me speaking the words of life over them. How could I ever teach them to treasure what I don't treasure? 
We got to equip them to be faithful, and we do that through the Word of God. Here's the next thing. We got to commission them on the mission of God. So Paul's empowered Timothy. He's, he's affirmed him. He's He's, he's taught him that this is going to be difficult. He's equipped him through being obedient to the word of God. And now he commissions him. He puts him on the mission of God. Look at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says, now with all this in mind, I charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. And be ready in season and out of season. Um, reprove, rebuke, exhort and com- with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teacher to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander in, off into myths. But again, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, and do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. What does he do? He puts him on mission. Kingdom parenting is nothing less than training your children up to be on mission for God. It's nothing less than that. It is training them up. And your home is the training ground. Well, pastor, isn't the church the training ground? It's not the first one, and it's not the most important one. The most important one is what you do Monday through Saturday in your home. That's the training ground. And if this is the only place your children hear about Jesus and talk about Jesus and bring his name up or hear anything about his word and what life in him looks like, they aren't being commissioned and prepared to go and live And that's why almost without fail, when children hit 18 and they graduate high school, there is this insane drop-off of them staying connected to the body because nobody empowered them to walk faithfully with Christ. The moment nobody makes them come, they stop coming. Why? Because they don't treasure it. Because they were never put on God's mission. Let's think for a moment. Think of those precious babies that you have, or if you're like me, the giant humans that you have. My children and your children will stand before the Lord God Almighty. And when they stand before the Lord God Almighty, they will not give an account for their GPA. They will not give an account for their batting average the seat they had in band, how many times they won the game, their social group, how much money they made or how high on the ladder they climbed. They will give an account for one thing. What did you do with the mission of Jesus? That's it. That's it. And they will give an account for that. You know what? So will we. Not only will we, but parents and grandparents, we're going to give an account for how we raise them to be on mission. Here's the last thing. We have to leave a legacy of faithful obedience. I love what Paul, right after Paul writes this, 
He gives this charge. He says this, verse 6 of chapter 4. He says, For Timothy, I, I am being already poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Paul knew he was dying. He was at the end of his life. And listen to what he said. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul said, Timothy, I'm about to leave this world. But I've left for you a legacy to follow. A legacy of believing Jesus, of walking with him, of enduring for him, of remembering that whatever costs you, whatever it costs you, he's worth it. And God help me if I get to the end of my life and the only thing my children can think to thank me for is the inheritance I left them. Who cares? I'm not taking it with me and they're not taking it with them. Who cares? I want to get to the end and I want my children to look at me and I want them to say, Mom, Dad, I love Jesus because you taught me how to love him and I gave my life away because you gave your life away and I saw you walk away from good things to take hold of the better thing. You ran a good race. You fought a good fight. If I hand my children the whole world and don't hand them that, then what did I do? You go, gosh, pastor, that's heavy-handed, man. It's Mother's Day. What are you doing? Back off, dog. <laughs> I got chips and salsa on my brain right now. <laughs> You're in here swinging these hammers at me. I'm over just trying to dodge. <laughs> I hope you hear my heart. The children that God has given us have been entrusted to us to make them more than successful citizens, to make them more than popular among their friend group, to make them more than athletically successful. The children you have in your care have been given to you by God to raise them up, to live their life on mission for Jesus. That's why you have them. So let's do that together. Let's do that together. I'm going to pray and I'm going to put a few things in front of you then I'm going to let you guys get out of here. Lord Jesus, you know that I above all need your help in shepherding my children to love you. Father, thank you that parents don't have to be perfect. We just have to love you and trust you. Help us, Lord, to do that well. Help us to raise our children empowered, affirmed, equipped, and ready to live on mission. I love you, Lord. Thank you for the joy of your word and the joy of your presence. In Jesus' name.